Effective Living with Reverend Henry Hubert. May you be blessed as you listen. Now, the message. Lord, you All right, so today I want to continue my teaching on this very important subject of faith. I've been teaching on increase in faith. Part of our declaration says, I increase in, in word and in wisdom, in faith and in favor. Amen. So we are studying how to increase in faith. By now, every member of the church, you need to know what the definition of faith is. What is faith? You need to be able to define what faith is. Otherwise, this whole teaching hasn't done anything for you. Faith is defined as expressing your belief in what God has spoken to you by confessing it and acting on it. Expressing your belief in what God has spoken to you by confessing it and acting on it. Somebody say, faith is expressing your belief in what God has spoken to you by confessing it and acting on it. Somebody say, I have faith in the Lord. The basis of faith is God's integrity and God's ability. The reason why we need to have faith in God is because God is a person of integrity. He is also a person of divine ability. There is nothing too difficult for him. Faith is very important because it takes faith to receive answers to your prayers. The Bible says, whatever you ask God in prayer, believe and you will receive. Faith is also important because it enables you to enjoy the promises of God. Any promise God makes to you is accessible only by faith. You can have promises or the promise of God and, you know, never enjoy it. The Bible said that all the Israelites that left Egypt, God told them, I'm taking you to the land flow, make an honey. But the Bible said the people who left Egypt, only two of them entered Canaan. The rest died in the wilderness. And the reason why they died is because of unbelief. The people who entered Canaan were the children of the people who left Egypt. Only two people left Egypt and entered Canaan. These two people are Joshua and Caleb. The rest died because of unbelief. So God made a promise. In fact, including Moses himself, he was the one leading the people. He was the one who told the people, God said he's taking us from here to a land flowing with milk and honey. Faith is also important because it helps you to overcome the challenges of life. We live in very difficult times. And we can't tell when it's going to get better. And I want to suggest to somebody, stop looking up to better times ahead. Exercise faith now. The Bible said that it takes faith to overcome the challenges of life. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. It also it takes faith to defeat Satan and his attacks. The most important one, it takes faith to please God and to relate well with God. If you don't have faith, you can never relate with God well. Because God's greatest pain is to be doubted. His greatest pain is to be doubted. Today, I want to continue the teaching, and I want to talk about winning the war against unbelief. You can never exercise faith very well without your ability to conquer unbelief. Unbelief is always at war with your faith. Every day we wake up, we are prone to the normal life of unbelief. Unbelief is the normal of every natural human being. Unbelief is the normal life of every human being. Faith is something we have to compel ourselves to practice. The reason why God said we should believe in him is because it's something that is not natural with us. God will never tell you to breathe because you're already breathing. Unbelief is normal with us. Why? Because it's difficult to believe what you cannot see. It's difficult to believe what you cannot see. The normal life of human beings is you see it, you believe it. You see it and you believe it. And then God came and said, believe it before you see it. You know, so faith brought about a reversal of the normal order in which we live our lives. And that is why unbelief has become 
a very um, challenging contradiction to faith. It seeks to contend against your faith every time. Almost every time, no matter how much faith you have, you are prone to falling back into unbelief every now and then. You are always under the attack or under the pressure of always slipping back into unbelief. The Bible said about a certain man that is popularly called the Doubting Thomas. In the book of John 20, verse 24, we see how Jesus spoke about unbelief. John 20, verse 24. The Bible said, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Unless I see him, this guy was out, I don't know where he went, and the people who don't have faith most of the time, those who don't go to church, the guys were gathered, Jesus appeared in their midst, he didn't appear to Thomas in his house. Thomas came to the meeting and the people said, Jesus came, he appeared to us. We are talking about a time Jesus had died, crucified, and buried. On the third day, the women came and said, we went there, the, the, the tomb is empty, and we saw some people, two people, who told us he is risen. But they had not seen him yet to believe that he's truly risen. Even though Jesus told them, I'll rise on the third day when I'm, when I'm buried. They didn't believe it. So Jesus appeared. But uh, Thomas was not there. And when he came to the meeting and they told him, we've seen the Lord. He came, he showed, he appeared to us. Thomas said, <laughs> no, unless I see him, I will not believe it. Verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. <laughs> now Jesus was not there when Thomas came. Jesus was not there when Thomas said all the things he said. But the Bible said on the eighth day, that means a week after. In the first place, Jesus appeared to them on a Sunday. So a week after, which was the following Sunday, they were together, and fortunately Thomas was there, and Jesus appeared, not through the door, because all the doors were shut, and if Jesus had to come to the door, he had to knock, and then they would ask, who is it? Because the disciples at that time were so scared, because their master had been killed, and they believed that if they've killed Jesus, the all-powerful man who walked on the sea and you know, spoke to the storms, and they were quiet, raised the dead, Heal the sick, open blind. If he was killed, then we, we don't have any chance. So they lock the doors. Anytime they meet, they close the doors out of fear. The Bible said, Jesus appeared in their midst and said, peace be unto you. And then he said to Thomas, Thomas, come, 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 come. Yeah, now I'm here. You said last week that unless you see the nail prints and put your hand inside, you will not believe. He said, come and do it. I'm here now. Reach out your hand and put your hand and look at my hands and put your hand, put it into my side, put your hand into my side. And then he said to me, do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas did not put his hand into Jesus's nail prints. He did not put his hand into the side. The fact that Jesus appeared in their midst without the doors opening. The fact that Jesus knew what he said last week, that alone was evident for him. And then the appearance of the person who see that this, and I've been with this man for three years. This is exactly the person. Thomas opened his mouth and said, my Lord and my God. He was the first person to call Jesus Lord because he's, he shifted position immediately from the place of unbelief to the place of faith. And then Jesus said something to him. And Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Faith is 
you haven't seen it, but you believe it because God said it. I haven't seen it, but I believe it because God said it. Unbelief says, wait a minute. It doesn't matter who said it. I want to see it, then I will believe. And that has been our normal life before we came to know Jesus. And some way, somehow, this normal life seeks to want to continue with us. We'll always want to see things before we believe it. No matter what God has told you, without it. Without it. And so, every day, our faith is under this serious assault of unbelief. And if you don't know how to deal with unbelief, how to conquer unbelief, how to overcome unbelief, you can never practice your faith. Paul said to Timothy in the book of 1 Timothy 6, 12, he said, faith is a fight. And it's a fight against unbelief. If you want to really live the life of faith, every day you are fighting against unbelief. Because before you realize, your mind is telling you, hey, the problem is still there. Every now and then, your mind is telling you, hey, are you sure about this thing? Your man is playing game with you. The devil is playing tricks on you. People are talking to you. Everywhere you pass, colleagues, people who love you are drawing your attention to things that you are trying to forget about. They are trying to tell you the, thing, the situation is not as bad as you are being happy about. Sometimes people will tell you, I mean, you are too excited. Do you forget the situation we are in? Sometimes you talk to people tell you, 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 you are talking like you are not in Ghana. So there is a contention. There is every effort to make sure your faith is completely down to zero. He said, fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You can get up by faith, especially in church. When we are in church, our faith is high because the presence of God is here. We hear good preaching. We hear anointed preaching. We speak all the positive things, but... When you are alone, when you are face to face with the realities and the challenges, there is a fight. There is a fight. He said, but I'm glad Paul calls it the good fight of faith. In other words, faith is a fight, but it's a good fight. Why did Paul say it's a good fight? Because the outcome will always turn out in your favor. If you exercise your faith, the outcome will always turn out in your favor. You will always see the benefits. The, the, the outcome will always vindicate you. Because God is faithful, and he said in his word, he will never fail you nor forsake you. Those who put their trust in him cannot be disappointed. There is no way you exercise faith, and your faith will not produce the expected results. It's not possible. So Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. So faith is a fight. Somebody say faith is a fight. In the book of Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12 said, Therefore, seeing that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnare us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2 says that, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3 says, Consider him who endures such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Verse 4, it said, You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Now, the Bible began to talk in Hebrews 12 about a very important thing. And this is about subject of faith because verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So the scripture in Hebrews 12, it actually wanted to talk about faith, but he talk, spoke about faith in a very interesting way. He said, therefore, seeing we are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses. What is Paul trying to say? Paul said, we are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are the cloud of witnesses? Paul was referring to all the heroes of faith that were mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. When you go to Hebrews chapter 11, you see the subject of faith spoken about profoundly with very many people. Paul spoke about the heroes of faith. The, the whole of Hebrews chapter 11, then when he got to chapter 12 verse 1, he said, therefore. You know, the word therefore is drawing a conclusion. Anytime you hear the word therefore, it suggests that 
there is a preceding argument upon which a conclusion is being drawn. Therefore, suggest that there has been an earlier presentation of facts, of figures, of data, or of information upon that earlier submission, a conclusion is being drawn, or a suggestion is being made, or an instruction is being given. So the word therefore suggests that Paul was drawing reference from the submission he made on faith from Hebrews chapter 11. He said, therefore, seeing that we are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses. So who are the cloud of witnesses? The cloud of witnesses are the heroes of faith from Hebrews chapter 11. That means includes Abraham, includes Isaac, includes Noah, includes David. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, you see a whole catalog of people who exercised faith and got great outcomes. Paul said, we are surrounded by these people. Paul said, our life is like a football match in the center of the football park. You know, when you go to a stadium, the stadium is not made of the football park alone. The football park is just in the middle, surrounded by a place where people sit. And the reason why they made those places so that people can sit, watch the match, cheer you up if you are doing well. Yeah, and Paul said, seeing that we are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, Paul said, our Christian life is like we are in the center of an activity. And all these heroes of faith, they are watching us from heaven. And they are saying, you can make it. They are saying, you can, you can overcome. They are saying, don't give up. They are saying, it's possible. They are saying, look, I went through this and God came through for me. And when you go, when you, feel, you can also go through and God will come through. Don't give up, don't quit. They keep cheering. And anytime your faith is active and you refuse to doubt, you refuse to disbelieve, you refuse to quit, and you are exercising your faith, they are cheering and they are excited. Anytime you give up and you quit and you compromise and you walk in doubt, they get sad. The Bible said, because we are surrounded with so great tech, that is why anytime you go through a particular problem, God will talk to you about somebody in the Bible who has been through that issue before. If you are married, believing over children, God will talk to you about Hannah. God will talk to you about Sarah. God will talk to you about Elizabeth. God will talk to you about people who were married, did not have children, but after some time, God blessed them and gave them fantastic children. Yeah, if you've been betrayed and you've been slandered and treated in a horrible way, God will talk to you about people like Joseph. You've been rejected and abandoned, God will talk to you about David. Because they are the cloud of witnesses that surround us. They are the references that make us know that God is faithful. The Bible said, because we are surrounded, we so great a cloud of witnesses, what should we do? Let us lay aside every weight. The cloud of witnesses around us from scripture help us to know you don't have an excuse to fail. You have to write and say, I cannot fail. Oh, you are not saying it, but say, say, I don't have an excuse for failure. You know, all the excuses you are giving, you know, I don't have anybody to help me. There are people in the Bible, nobody helped them, but they became great. I don't have anybody to help me. Life is difficult. Ghana is hard. Listen, the Israelites live in a more harder economy than we are now. He said, let us lay aside every way. Put all the excuses aside. Put all the complaints aside. All this attitude that my problem is the biggest in the world. You know, so I have a reason to fail. Put aside everybody. As for me, I have genuine reasons to fail. Put it aside. It's not valid. It's not a valid argument. It's that lay aside every weight. And what? The sin. He didn't say sins. So this scripture is not talking about sin. No, let me say it better. This scripture is not talking about sinning. It's talking about a particular sin. He said, that sin, eh, it easily traps you. It is the sin that is common to all human beings and easily trap all of us, myself, everybody who is a child of God. There is one particular sin that is common to all of us. What do you think he was talking about? Unbelief. Because it's the only sin, there's no exemption here. He said, lay aside every weight. Put aside all the excuses. Number two, number two, lay aside the sin which easily trap you. Then you will do what? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's a race set before us. But we need to run it with what? Endurance. Endure. Everybody say endurance. Everybody say endurance. Endurance means faith will not make 
everything happen today. Faith will not cause your life to change overnight as a magic. Faith does not mean, you know, by the snap of a finger, then you have become everything God said you will become. There is a process. And there are things you must endure. There are things you must go through. And as you decide, let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us. So unbelief is Satan's own weapon to disqualify you from the race. Unbelief, as long as you keep living the rest of your life, excuses every day, excuses, complaining, excuses. You know, excuses will lead you into unbelief. As long as you have excuses for your failure, excuses for your life to remain the way it is, excuses for you not to make progress and be happy in life and do well and see the plans of God come to pass in your life. As long as you have excuses, nothing changes. You will live in unbelief. But he went on to say, looking unto Jesus, who is what? The author and the finisher of our faith. And then the important thing he said about Jesus, he said, for the joy that was set before him, he what? Endured the cross. The Bible said, Jesus had the choice to refuse to die on the cross. In fact, Jesus was tempted at a point to change his mind. He said, Father, if it is your will, why don't we find another method to save the people? Do I need to go through all this suffering? Because Jesus saw in his prayer time what he was going to go through. And Satan was telling him, hmm, today I will teach you. I will show you Pepe. We will, I, will, I will make the people beat you. They will spit in your face. They will whip your back. They will nail your, they will put thorns on your head. They will strip you naked on the cross. They will nail you. Jesus saw everything. And when he saw, he said, hey, this thing is tough. Uh -uh. Do I need to go through all this for people who, who don't even care about me? People, wicked, sinful, evil people, idol worship, all the thoughts it was going through his mind. He's, Jesus was wondering, is this worth it? He was tempted to change his mind. But the Bible said he decided to surrender to the will of God. The Bible is saying, let that be your example, that Jesus did not enjoy the cross. He endured it. He endured the cross. He endured the cross. Why? Why did he endure it? Because he was looking beyond the cross. He was seeing that the cross is just for a few hours. How long did Jesus stay on the cross? Six hours. Stayed alive on the cross for three hours and died. He was crucified at um, 12 noon. He died at 3 p.m. By 6 p.m. he was removed from the cross. So actually, the cross was not as bad as Satan was presenting it. But the Bible said, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus was looking beyond the cross. He was looking at the glory. He, was he began to look at all over the world. The king of kings and the lord of lords. That in his name, demons will bow. That the whole world will be worshipping him. That even in Klagon today, people like us will be saved and will be worshipping him. And his name, he looked at all that. He looked at that. The Bible said, he brought him joy. Then he began to endure the cross. That is how to exercise faith and that is how to overcome unbelief. Unbelief tells you your problem is permanent. Faith tells you this thing is temporary. The Bible says that unbelief tells you the situation is still there. Faith tells you it's there, but it's gone. Faith does not claim disregard for problems. Faith brings solution to the problems. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, it said, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Unbelief says, hey, stop right there. Look at yourself. Look at the situation. Oh, this situation is really bad. And he will bring you people who dramatize your problem, amplify it, give flesh to it, elaborate on your situation, give you details, give you different angles of the problem that you are going through, just to make you know, oh, it's really bad. But faith does not look at the situation. Faith looks at the promise of God. The promise of God. The Bible says, heaven and earth will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. When God begins to speak to you, he put an expiry on every problem in your life. 
When God begins to speak to you concerning your situation, he put an expiry on every situation you are going through. And somebody here this morning, I came to tell you, your problem is still there, but it has an expiry date. There is an expiry that is dawning on that situation of yours. I don't know what you are going through. Satan is laughing at you. You know, your mind is playing games on you. You are discouraged. You, are, you feel defeated. You feel, you feel horrible. You know, you feel ashamed. But I want you to know what you are going through is not permanent. God has put an expiry on it. And one of these days, that expiry will mature. And that problem will become extinct. Now, Abraham is always the example when you come to the subject of faith. Today and next Sunday, we want to look at how Abraham conquered unbelief. When we look at the book of Romans chapter 4, we've read this over and over and over. We begin to look at from verse 16. It said, therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. This is a scripture that makes us understand that when it comes to the subject of faith, Abraham is our father. That's why he's called the father of faith. He's called the father of faith. The Bible says that when you exercise faith, the promise of God becomes sure. Promise of God becomes sure. Unbelief makes the promise of God null and void. Unbelief renders the promise of God null and void. That's why God could tell somebody, I'm taking you from bondage in Egypt to a land flow with milk and honey. And the people die in the wilderness. Now, is, is it God who is unfaithful? No. If God was unfaithful, everybody should have died. Everybody should have died in the wilderness. But two people entered the promise. But before they even entered, God told them that Joshua and Caleb, they had another spirit. So I'll let them enter, but the rest of you, you die because you doubted me over and over. Can you imagine people who saw Red Sea, Philly, Philly, open right before their eyes, walking on dry ground, water in the side, water on this side, and they walk through as if that is not enough. The enemy that were chasing them, including Pharaoh himself, they saw the sea came upon them and all the enemies died. Then they sang a song and rejoiced. Afterward, they said, Moses, you and your God, you are very bad. Come on, water. We can't get water. You brought us here to kill us. Then God said to Moses, go and strike the rock. Water will come. Can you imagine? Just with a simple strike of a rock, water was gushing out like a river for three million people to drink and be thirsty. Bible said the clothes they wore did not fade, did not get torn. Their sandals never got worn out. As they grew... Their clothing expanded with them and always knew. By the time they wake up in the morning, food was falling. Now, in the night, the glory of God was like a pillar of fire into the sky. Now, this fire was giving them light and heat. Because in Palestine, it's very cold in the night. especially during the winter. It's cold. So this fire was giving them heat. They saw it feely, feely. Now, during the day, during the day, the glory of God was a pillar of cloud. Now, this pillar was a very huge mass of cloud in front of them. And it was not only in front. The book of Psalms says that the cloud covered the heavens over them so that the scorching of the sun would not hit them. So these people walked under the shade of the cloud. And yet, they had a tree to decide one day, we are going back to Egypt. What I'm telling you is in Numbers 14. They said, we will stone Moses to death. We'll get another leader. And then we will go back to Egypt. That was the day God said, all of you, you will die in the wilderness. You will die in the wilderness. That was the day God made a decision. But when he made that decision, he told them, as for Joshua and Caleb, I've made them enter. Because they are different. They never spoke evil of me. They never disbelieved me. So, Abraham is our example. Amen? Now, verse 17, verse 17, verse 17. He says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and caused those things which do not exist as though they did. Verse 18. Who contrary to hope, in hope he believed, so that he became the father of many nations, 
according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. My emphasis is on verse 19. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was trending in faith, giving glory to God. So the Bible said that Abraham's journey of faith, it was not as rosy as we preach it. And that's why the one who study today and next Sunday. Abraham's faith that we commend, it was not as easy as we talk about it. And it means that when we talk about faith, you also need to understand the faith walk is not an easy road, but it is a necessary life you must live. The Bible said he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. That means the, the temptation came all the time. The opportunity came all the time for him to compromise on the promise of God, but he did not. He chose not to. But he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. The book of Hebrews 11 said a few things about Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith. Hebrews 11 verse 8. Hebrews 11 verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham went in obedience to God without knowing where he was going. Maybe you haven't read there yet. Maybe at least you know where you are going. <laughs> Abraham, the day he obeyed God's command to leave his father's house, he didn't know where he was going, and yet he obeyed. That is, that is crazy. I'm sure people laughed at him. I'm sure people called him names. I'm sure people asked him, so where are you going? He said, I don't know. How do you know when you get there? He said, God will tell me when I get there. Verse 9. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. So the Bible said, God made Abraham a promise that the land he was staying on belongs to him, and yet he was a foreigner. He was a foreigner on the same land that God promised him. Are you following? Verse 10. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sun which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You know, the Bible is saying that Abraham did not see all the promise of God in his life fulfilled before he died. That's very, very, very significant. Now, God made two promises to Abraham. The first one is, I will give you a child by Sarah. And then through that, you become a father of nations. Second promise, this land, I'm giving it to you. In Abraham's lifetime, he had Isaac, but he actually didn't see the nation, but he believed it. The land on which God promised to give it to him, he didn't possess it before he died. Do you know why God took Israel from Egypt to Canaan? Because Abraham possessed the land for them. And so that land in God's sight was for Israel. That is why after 430 years, God came back and took Israel to, the, to, to Canaan because he had already given it to Abraham. And Abraham had claimed it by faith, but he couldn't possess it. This faith walk, it means that faith, you know, puts you in a place of enjoying the blessings of God, even beyond yourself, beyond yourself. The faith walk, puts people whose destinies are connected to you in a place of blessing. Israel had it easy to possess the land of Canaan because Abraham claimed the land. But he lived on the land as a foreigner. Now, I want to show you five important things. According to Romans chapter 4, from verse 17 to 21, there are five important things that Abraham did that enabled him to overcome unbelief. I want to take you through them this Sunday and next Sunday. Number one, Abraham developed the habit of hearing God's voice. I want us to go to the book of Genesis chapter 15 from verse 1. Abraham developed the habit of hearing God's voice. If you want to overcome unbelief, you must come to the place where hearing the voice of God becomes your habit. 
What is a habit? Something you do naturally all the time. You don't plan to do it. A habit is something you don't plan for. It has become a part of your life. It has become something you do. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, Lord, God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, well, And he believed. Abraham had God and immediately his faith. You know, by the time when God started talking to him, he, he had so much unbelief. You heard how he talked. He said, God, what is this? Every day you come, you talk, 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 talk. Look at me. No child. Other servants are having children in my house. I don't have a child. And I'm growing. One day when I die, my servant will inherit me. He said, you have given me no child. That is unbelief. He was complaining about his problem. Then God said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir. Your own child will inherit you. He said, come, come, come out, come out. Look into the skies. Your descendants one day will be great like that. And suddenly, from a place of unbelief, the Bible says Abraham believed. Hearing God's voice is the number one step to overcoming unbelief. In the book of Genesis 17, we see, I mean, if you read, the, if you read most part of Abraham's life, God was always talking to him. God was always talking to him. Genesis 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. What do you think God was talking about? Unbelief. Because at this time, um, Sarah has convinced Abraham to have a child with Hagar, and they gave birth to Ishmael. And, and, and God wasn't happy with it. That's why God came to him and said, walk before me and be blameless. You see, God said, Abraham, you are the one I gave the promise to. You don't listen to Sarah. Yeah. If you want to listen to everybody, you cannot obey God's promise. You cannot exercise your faith in God's promise. And some of the people who talk to you, it's not that they, they are bad people or they hate you. They, oh, they mean well. But I'm telling you, out of their good will, they will advise you out of the will of God. Because God didn't talk to them. He spoke to you. So Abraham, God said, I am almighty God. In other words, I am the God of possibilities. I can do all things. Walk before me and be blameless. Verse 2. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'll make my covenant between me and you, and I'll multiply you exceedingly. Many years ago, I heard one man of God said, anytime God speaks to you, what he tells you becomes a covenant between you and him. And I believe in that. <laughs> when God speaks to you, he becomes committed to performing it. God commits himself by making you a promise. So he said, I'll make my covenant between me and you, and I'll multiply you exceedingly. That's a 99-year-old man who still doesn't have a child. That's why I came to tell this morning, your case is not hopeless. I didn't hear him, and I said, your case is not hopeless. Your case is not useless. Your situation is not as bad as people are making you think it is. God will come through for you. He is the almighty God. Continue to believe God. Exercise your faith. Verse, verse 3. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come out of you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generation for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land on which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. It is very important to hear God speak to you because until God speaks to you, you never even know who you are. You keep defining yourself by your present situation. You keep calling yourself, you know, you people call you by your situation. But God sees you beyond how you are now and where you are now 
When you hear God speak to you, suddenly you see beyond your situation. Overcoming unbelief, the number one step is hearing God's voice. Abraham developed a habit. I want everybody to understand the faith walk, it runs on God's voice. Faith comes by what? Hearing. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So how do I hear God's voice? Number one, read the Bible every day. I will never stop talking about reading the Bible every day. Read the Bible. Can I hear everybody say every day? Every day we are reading the Bible because it is through the word of God that we hear the voice of God. It is through the word of God we hear the voice of God. It is through the word of God we hear. Anytime you hear a voice that is contrary to scripture, it's not God's voice. Anytime somebody gives you a prophecy, contradicting scripture is not God's voice. God will never violate his word. Anything he tells you will be coming from his word. But when he speaks his word to you, it, that scripture verse becomes a covenant that he's committed to performing it. Number two, pray every day. Because most of the time, God will speak to you in response to your prayer. Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. Pray every day. Yeah. Number three, develop quality time with God every day. I call it a quiet time. Spend time with God alone on a daily basis. Plan a little time with God alone every day. It is not everything God will tell you while you are moving up and down. It's not everything, everything God will tell you while you are roaming about. There are things God will speak to you when you are with him alone. Spend time in God's presence. Number four, fast at least once a week, especially the day you are born. It is abnormal to eat seven days a week. Somebody say, I hear you. It is very, very, very abnormal. In fact, it is prohibited in this church that you eat every day of the week. Now, why is fasting important? Fasting makes your spirit alert and very sensitive to receive from God. Anytime you fast, you suppress the flesh and you amplify the spirit. So sensitivity is stronger during fasting. You hear God faster, easier. So fast once every day. The last one is schedule personal retreats periodically. Schedule personal retreats periodically. What's a personal retreat? Staying away from people and from every busy schedule to, to be with God and talk to him and let him talk to you. And let him talk. There are things God will tell you when you are with him alone. The Bible says, and God and the word of the Lord came to Abraham. So personal retreats are very important. Every child of God, you must have a strategy. You, are, you, you have a relationship with God. You cannot be so busy. You have no time with God. That's why you keep struggling. There are many things God wants to tell you now. There are things God will never tell a prophet to tell you. He wants to tell you by himself. And as long as you keep running from prophet to prophet, he will keep waiting for you. And some of you, God has been waiting for you for a long time. Because you can't remember the last time you spent time with him alone. He's been waiting for you. He will never tell any prophet to tell you. And some of the things, even if God tell a prophet to tell you, you will doubt it. He won't, yeah, it's easy to doubt a prophecy. But when, he, when you hear him by yourself, when you hear him by himself, you know, you know it's God. You know you are, you are not making it up. Number two, Abraham had hope. Hope means what? Anticipation. Hope means positive expectation of, of a future event. Hope means certainty about a future occurrence. The Bible said that against hope, Abraham believed in hope. If you don't have hope, you can't exercise faith. Hope simply means you are positive about the future. Anytime you go to the airport, maybe you are expecting a guest, and you get to the arrival launch of, a, of the airport, there are flat screens all over. And on these flat screens, they have something they call flight schedules. So you need to find out where your friend or your guest is coming from and which flight is he using. And you will see the arrival time on the screen. It will tell you that. 12.55, your guest will arrive. So if you are there at 10 a.m., all you have to do is what? Sit down in expectation because the arrival of your guests is not a guesswork. It is certain. It is certain. It's something that is bound to happen. Sometimes for some weather issues or some little, little reasons, there may be a delay. Plus or minus, there may be a delay. But the arrival is bound to happen. Hope is certainty. It's not everything God tells you today that will happen today. It's not everything God tells you today that will happen today. There are things God tells you today that will happen tomorrow. 
So hope looks into the future positively with expectation. Expectation. Every day you wake up, you are expectant of a better future, a better tomorrow. The Bible says against hope. Do you know what the Bible says against hope? Because the guy was old. Verse 18, the Bible said, Abraham did not, Romans 4, Abraham did not, Abraham stopped looking at his age. And maybe I came to tell somebody here, stop looking at your age. We will all not marry at the same age. We will all not have children at the same age. We will all not buy cars at the same age. And we will all not build at the same age. We will all not become rich at the same age. Stop looking at your age. Verse 19, he did not look at, he said, he did not consider his own body already dead. It was bad. It was bad. The case was bad. His body was dead. Because when we talk about children, there are certain things you should be thinking about. Children don't just happen. And the guy knows anything that will make children happen is dead. Body, dead. But you are still holding on to the promise of God. Expecting. Every night you look at the stars. Expecting. That is hope. I said, that is hope. You need to come to the place as a child of God. Stop looking. He said, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Sarah's womb was dead. That means double dead. Sometimes God will wait for the case to be bad beyond repairs. Then he will move. Because he wants to make your life a testimony. So if it's not that bad before he bless you, people won't see God in it. They will say it's coincidence. They will say it's accidental. That's why when Lazarus died, Jesus said, this time we are not going. We wait. Well, in Jewish tradition, when people die in a day, it possibly can wake up because maybe they were in a coma or something. In Jewish tradition, people are declared dead after four days. Jesus said, this one, we will wait. After four days, he said, let's go and raise him up. Let's go and raise him up so that they will know that I can raise the dead. Because Jesus, raised, Jesus raised other people, but they were not four days dead. So people were saying some of them, they, 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 the people were in a coma. So God wants to use you to prove. So I came to tell somebody here, there's hope for you. Your, your situation is not beyond solution. It's bad, yes, pastor. It's, the case is bad, yes. I didn't come to say it's good. It's bad, but there is hope. I said it's bad, but there is hope. And there is hope not because of you, but because of God. Because you serve a living God. You don't serve a dead God. The God you serve is alive. And when he speaks, he will bring it to pass. When he says a thing, it will surely come to pass. God is not a man to lie, nor the son of man to change his mind. Whatever he says will come to pass. I declare over your life, the promise of God concerning your life, it will never fail. It will never fail. It will never fail. There may be delays, but it will come to pass. In the name of Jesus, I came to tell somebody today, God has not forgotten about you. God has not abandoned you. God has not forsaken you. Don't let the situation talk to you. Let the word of God talk to you because God is still on your case. And when he comes through for you, you will have a testimony. Somebody here, lift up your hand and say, it's not over with me. Oh, I can't hear you say it's not over with me. Somebody say it's not over with me. The Bible said Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, that scripture means if Jesus is in your life, there is hope for you. There is hope for glory. I said there is hope for glory. Your life will not be a disgrace. Your life will not be a disappointment. Your life will not be a shame. In the name of Jesus, anything you are going through today is temporary. Let's close with 2 Corinthians 4. 18, no, 417. 2 Corinthians 417, verse 8. He said, ready, go. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which... We do not look at the things which we can see. We do not look at... The problem in the business. We do not look at the situation in your marriage. We do not look at your bank account. You do not look at your age. We do not look at the things which we can see. 
the mockery, the challenges, the harassment from the landlord. You know, sometimes you can have a car that is talking to you all the time. He's telling you, I'm going to leave you on the road. The things which are seen. He said, we do not look at the things which we see, but we look at the things which we cannot see. Unbelief looks at the things which we see. Faith, look at the things we cannot see. What are the things we cannot see? The promise of God. He said, you are blessed and highly favored. You are the head and not the tail. You are rich and prosperous. You are a winner and an overcomer. The promise of God speaks to you. Say say to Abraham, you are the father of nations. He did not see it, but he believed it. This morning, I came to tell you that your life is bigger than the way it is now. Your life is much, much better than the way it is now. Your future is not the same as the present. There is hope for you. There is hope for you. In the name of Jesus, I take authority and I rebuke every spirit of unbelief in your life. I rebuke every spirit of unbelief in your life. I rebuke every discouragement in your life. I destroy every confusion in your life. In the name of Jesus, from today you will not live in unbelief. From today you will not live in doubt. The Spirit of God will strengthen your faith. There is hope for you. In the name of Jesus. If you are here, you are confused and discouraged, I pray for you. The Lord will come through for you. You are in the right place for a testimony. You are here and you don't know what to do. Life is so horrible and terrible. I came to tell you, you are not the first and you will not be the last. You are going through a season and you are the right place where God is about to reveal himself in your life. I rebuke every discouragement. I rebuke despair in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope you've been blessed by today's message. You can contact Reverend Hubert on 030-340-7970 or 024-33-11201. Remain blessed.